guys, today, Adrian Bo joins Both Sides Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, gents. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me on. All right. So look, <clears throat> as a the fact is with our podcast is predominantly real estate agents and yes. everyone's going to know who you are. So everyone knows what you do currently, but I think a lot of the younger agents don't actually understand and some information about from when you actually started. I actually only found out yesterday that you worked directly alongside John McGrath. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> so yes. can we bring it right the way back from when you first started your career up until now and give us a bit of a rundown? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so that was back in 89 was my first year in, in real estate. I left school in 88 and mm. straight into it. Um, I did start here actually in the city initially um, as a stockbroker, yep. just running around doing you know work around the the 20 Bond Street, which was the stock exchange at that time. And there was it was not digital then, so it was all like chalkies. So they were basically yep. just chalking up the stock prices, and then you'd run have to run down to the office and then get a get a, a buy tip or a sold tip, and then run it back down and up. So it was. It was pretty interesting times back then, and then um, that had lasted, you know, quite a, quite a few months, almost a year, and then the, there was a big correction in in the market. Then I think they called it Black Friday at the yeah. time. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I was earning like 150 bucks a week, which is which is quite interesting. Um, I always had an appetite to go to university, but. I didn't at that particular point ended up doing like a master's degree later in life. Mm. Uh, so at that point when that all happened, I ended up just at my brother's office. He was working in sales in Maroubra at the time and uh, I ended up starting there as an assistant property manager because in those days there was no verticals within team so you know how now with sales you've got a business manager a ea a, a buyer's agent or an associate agent and even in property management you've got a leasing person new business person property manager back then it was like if you were under the age of pretty much you know 30 or 20 say 27 28 you'd it'd just be property management and then so when you hit a certain yeah, right. age it'd just be sales so mm-hmm. you're either a property manager or a standalone sales agent there wasn't much difference in terms of verticals in between each of those business units you know so started doing quite a lot of leasing um, and property management chasing arrears all that sort of stuff and then developed an appetite for commercial property so ended up uh, in double bay uh, making a career pretty much in my early 20s on Oxford Street, anywhere from Hyde Park all the way through to Queen Street, Wallaris. That's quite a huge strip on Oxford Street. How long Street. ago was that? Oh, that's going back early 90s now. Early 90s, yeah, yeah. wow. And in those days, guys... Is this with McGrath? This was with McGrath at yeah. the time, yeah. And in those days, what used to happen was just to get your, your foot in the door for a shop you would have to pay key money so that you weren't buying a business. You were just mm. literally paying anywhere between 200 to say $600,000 cash just to get the key for a shop because wow. there was such a huge shortage. And then, then you'd, you'd be paying at least $4,000 a week. So in those days, you know, we were making good fees because we were charging a percentage of the key money and a percentage of the annualised gross rental of the first term of the lease. You it's know, not so, a bad double dip. Yeah, which was which was <laughs> which was interesting, and you know, I made a lot of friendships and connections in people in hospitality. So you know, people that nightclubs, bars.
bars, pubs, you know, all still good relationships and friendships today. Mm. So developed that. So that was pretty interesting, your early to mid-20s, meeting all those type of people and, mm. you know, obviously, um, you know, leasing out nightclubs and bars and cafes and things like mm. that. That was, pre- that was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, then ended up um, just seeing that... If you're serious about commercial, you really had to be in the CBD because things were starting to change a little bit. Mm. So I did a short stint in the CBD, but that wasn't really for me. So they went back into residential at McGrath. So look, I started in McGrath back in 94. Um, it was, John had only started the business then a couple of years before that. So I was sort of one of the founding members if you like um, and then was fortunate enough to be a, uh, a shareholder and then going through an IPO you know there's not many people that sort of go through an IPO in your life and it was just mm. around the corner here where you ring the bell and all that sort of cool stuff so that was that was interesting and yeah. uh, and then did 26 years there and um, then yeah since then I've uh, I've sort of developed my own consulting coaching business, mm. but still involved in, in residential real estate now with with a Ray White franchise. So, yep. uh, but my coaching business is completely brand agnostic. I've worked literally with every single brand mm. in Australia and some in New Zealand as well. So yeah, that's that was how it all started. What was the mindset like back when you were first starting in the commercial space? Were you always yeah or entrepreneurial based or yeah it's it's, it's 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 a very 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 good question um because i was quite academic at school and unfortunately back then that the studies weren't amortized over a two-year period like they just had the hsc and at the end of the day you lived or died by that. So I was an A-grade student all the way up to the HSC and then that week of the HSC, I ended up with glandular fever and then chronic fatigue syndrome um, and was completely wiped out, so ended up failing the HSC. Oh, wow. But I always had a dream of studying finance going you know, and working, working in the financial markets. And, in mm. fact, I did it as work experience in year 10 and that's why I ended up working in at the stock market because after year 10 work experience that particular firm who was owned by a guy called Renault Rifkin which you guys are probably too young to know but he he was the guy <coughs> in the stock market you know back in the sort of late 80s most of the 90s and uh, I worked there every single school holidays year 11 and 12 and they had oh. a job waiting for me and then I was going to oh. do university part-time and all so it's interesting how you, you plan your life out mm. But, you know, if that happened today, for example, where, where a year 12 student got really sick or whatever, they, they would just amortise what their performance was mm. like over year 11 and 12 and, and they, would, they would be gracious and, and, and obviously give you a fair mark, but that's not the, the way it was back then. Mm, so, wow. unfortunately, you know, I had to start as a runner in, in, in that company, you know, and then and not have the ability to go to university. Mm. Um, but later in life, later in life, after I had some degree of success in real estate, I applied to do a master's degree mm. without doing an undergraduate degree. And given I had quite a lot of experience mm. and some success, I, I got accepted and ended up completing a, a master's of business, so an MBA oh, effectively. Wow. Congratulations. So, yeah, thank <coughs> you. So that was... Um, that was while I was like number one agent at McGrath and wow. running an office, and you know it was it was that 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 again was the second tranche of burnout though. Yeah. So that, that really yeah, because what happens is if you if you've ever had glandular fever once, 
it it's, it's, it's known as a virus called the Epstein-Barr virus, okay? And basically, without getting medical or scientific, but I have a, a fascination with medicine, um, the Epstein-Barr virus effectively stays in your system for the rest of your life. Wow. And it can turn into chronic fatigue syndrome or post-viral syndrome if you ever get run down. So the first time it happened was during my HSC. Second Jeez. time it happened was during that time where I was working six days a week, then did my master's degree. So I was doing that on Sundays where delusionally I thought I was going to do it at weeknights or whatever, but it never worked out that way. Ended up number one agent a few times at McGraw, but that was one time. I uh, was running an, uh, two offices. So, yeah, not ideal. So, you know, a lot of people see it as a curse. I see it as a blessing because... From now on, I live my <coughs> life in a quite healthy, mm. balanced way because mm. I'd never want to go back there again because of once course. that happens to you, you basically get wiped out for, for three months, you know. Three if, months. Yeah, if, it, yeah, it can happen. So you've got to be really Jeez. careful about what you do. But these days, I'm a bit of a biohacker. So, mm. you know, there's certain, you know, I probably take about 30 supplements a day. 30 I'm a on day? A, I'm on a vitamin C intravenous drip once a month. Um, and I'm also doing B shots, which I give wow. to myself. I'm on uh, primotestone, which is like a testosterone booster, but a natural, which is you just end up with lower levels when you've been through something like that. So, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not a massive drinker. I drink socially just to enjoy, but um, back in those days, you know, I, you know, obviously meeting a lot of people in that nightclub partying industry, mm. you could imagine someone in their, you know, mid to late 20s with access to you know a lot of resources to have fun with and mm. um, you know i had a really good time and i didn't get married till i was almost 40 so and i'm very happily married now and uh so and your body's been to, through a bit yeah it has it has <laughs> so there was there was th on three occasions I, I went to complete burnout yeah so What's when you say complete like? sorry yeah go for it when you say complete burnout mm. what do you mean by complete it's, burnout? look you've, you've heard the cliche when people say you burn the candle at both ends yeah yeah so working hard parting hard yeah basically okay. that's that's what it is yeah. and again if you've got this Epstein-Barr virus which in America they call it mono disease or mononucleosis yeah. it's got a nickname as the kissing disease it, it, a lot of people don't know that the, the, the reality is you probably got about about 80% of the population of you know in developed countries anyway walking around with Epstein-Barr virus really? in the system you can get wow. a blood test and check but it's dormant most most yeah. people it's just dormant so if anyone's ever had tonsillitis or anything like that in the past you most likely have got the a dormant Epstein-Barr virus wow. it just means you've got to be super careful yeah. um, and you just don't want to burn yourself out and you know it's always good to avoid certain amount of foods as well you know like dairy sugar wheat yeast stuff like that um, so how do you avoid that then because obviously i can based on this 10 15 minutes we've already been talking i yeah. can tell that you've you've made a lot of sacrifices through your life mm. you've you've worked a lot and mm. it seems like seven days a lot of the time yeah. how do you reach the level of success that you've hit without doing that and without burning out it's a very good question mm. and to be honest with you, I don't know a lot of people, I don't know a lot of people who have achieved pinnacle success, you know, because there's degrees of success, but I'd say pinnacle success without making sacrifices, to, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. And, yeah. you know, you could talk to anyone like Matt Steinwade, for example, Josh Teslon, any of these guys, they'll tell you, and they're both good friends of mine, um, and I know personally their stories, and, and, you know, Matt, for example 
did nothing for 20 years but just real estate and worked his butt off, you know, and he had an interest in colourful past before that and mm. and um, and now he's, he's, he's grown a fantastic business but he's found balance. He's found balance in his life now. Um, but, yeah, definitely, definitely also went along that path of, of, of burnout. So, look, that's not very encouraging to hear if you're a younger person, you mm. know, that, there's no doubt about it. However, however... That's only my reference and my experience because I'm of a certain age group, okay? Mm. And I would have thought that with technology, with process, um, with more efficiencies, with bigger teams, etc., I actually think it is possible to, mm. to achieve pinnacle success without burnout. And frankly, that's a lot of what I teach in, my, in, mm. in a lot of my consulting and coaching. And I often... Am quoted as saying to people like you know, younger people like you guys that are in the business, mm. I've paid the stupidity tax on your behalf already. I've paid that stupidity tax. So, so trust me, it's unnecessary. If success mm. takes one or two years longer, like uh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, it's just not necessary because when you make those sort of sacrifices, there's absolutely no doubt that there's areas of your life that get cannibalised. Because if you look at it, you've mm. got work. You've got spirituality, you've got family, you've got relationships, you've got health, and you've got mindset, right? There's no doubt that if you just focus on one of those, the, the rest of them will be affected. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Now, a lot of people talk about work-life balance. I, I also think, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, that that is a bit of a myth also, work-life mm. balance. I, I think it's a bit of a misnomer. And I think it's more about work-life harmony and it's also about what chapter of your life you're at. Like, mm. it's actually okay to make sacrifices if you've chosen to do that. Like, Josh is a good example. He's, he's chosen a certain stage of his career to make sacrifices, but the next stage, which will involve a child and whatever, there'll probably be less sacrifices, you know? Um, and same with me, you know, like, I chose to make sacrifices... I look back and I've got I've got references though and references that I can associate either pain or pleasure with as well. Mm. So there's nothing that motivates you more than associating pain to something that you never want to go back there again mm. um, or pleasure where you do want to go back there again. So all people's references are based on either associating pain or, or pleasure mm. with something. So, you know, for the younger audience... You don't need to burn out. You can mm. you can have mm. work life harmony. Just don't kid yourself that it's going to be work life balance, and also don't kid yourself that there's not going to be some sacrifice. But as long as it's a willing sacrifice and a determined sacrifice, and something that you've planned for, and you know how long it's going to go for, then I think that's okay. Yeah. Do you mind if I get a little bit deeper? Yeah. And ask your perspective on something that I've currently been going through where sure. it relates to your incident where you hit this burnout yeah. which you hadn't planned for yes and let's say we've got a plan and an understanding of what goals we want to hit but then an obstacle like that comes in yeah. and it throws us off course mm. so for example my situation i've been sick for five weeks i've been in and out of getting testing yeah bad stomach etc etc yeah how when something like that comes into the, the yeah. game how yeah. do you navigate that to still maintain a mindset do you adjust the goals? Do you have to become more resourceful? Yes. How, how did you balance that? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a good question. So I heard a story once. Um, there were two guys, uh, Cass and 
Jonesy, I think it were, who they canoed from, from New Zealand to Australia. And um, there was just a, one of those tiny canoes, just the two of them, right? Um, and it took, ooh, I think it was 40 days or something. Surprised they even made days. it. Yeah, yeah. And all they had was nothing really, just like a sat phone in case they ever wanted to quit. And when they finally got to their journey, only young guys, like private school boys here from Sydney, um, they're like, so did you ever want to quit? And they said, actually, quite a few times. And they said, why didn't you? And what did you do? And they said, what we did is made the decision that rather than quitting for the next 48 hours, we were going to paddle at 80% instead of 100%, right? Mm. So they still reached their goal, but they actually paddled at 80%. So the Mm. metaphor for us Mm. is no one really noticed that it took them a little bit longer or whatever. So I think if we're going through something that deserves our attention, such as health, family, relationships, financial issues or whatever, which is inevitable, by the way. Like mm. that, that, life is not fair. Life is life, mm. right? Um, it, it's easy to say, oh, this is not fair. This has happened to me and whatever. But what you could do, for example, um, is, is you, your business <coughs> doesn't have to be totally affected. You could... You could to use the metaphor, paddle at eighty percent for the next month, mm. just to get your health on track because it's a priority, you know. Mm. And if it is gut related, I've actually been there as well, Ryan. And I know Matt Steinway talks a lot about gut health, and he's on this massive journey. I just started with Mick the Podman yesterday. Yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's a bit of a secret what he puts in those pods, but uh, at the end of the day, that that's one factor of it. Okay, so. Mm. My recommendation, and I'm giving you advice, no, but please, I'm sure this, is, I'm sure, I'm sure this, is, yeah. this is a good forum for everyone, is, is um, you know, the, the, first, the very first thing you want to do is, is a, a stool analysis, okay, mm. for a couple of reasons. One is, one is if, if there's any, any parasites in your system, no matter how many supplements you take, no matter how much you rest, no matter whatever you do, unless you, you kill those parasites, the side effects are just incredible. They're just absolutely incredible. Um, the second part of it is to do an analysis on the colony of your microbiome because there's literally trillions of different bacteria, good and bad, that need to live in that microbiome. And you're basically doing like an X-ray on that microbiome, and you want to see that it's it's actually flourishing with a lot of different bacteria. So to tell you my story with with gut health, it was the worst possible story that could happen. Is that um, you know I, I had a lot of lot of issues, uh, got tested, and I did have parasites. Okay, and the normal protocol, the normal protocol is that you take um, three forms of antibiotics. So they're I, pretty, pretty. I had strong. the H. pylori virus. Is that something similar? Yeah, yeah. It's it, it is a form of bacteria. Yeah. yeah. So the normal protocol is you take antibiotics. You know, three mm. different types of them for for like ten to fourteen days. And most people tolerate antibiotics, right? But as we know, antibiotics are a bit like. Um, chemotherapy in that they don't discriminate whether mm. they kill good or bad cells in your body. That's what chemo does. It, that, that's why people lose their hair, etc., because it's, it's killing your good and bad cells. Mm. So with your gut, 
what 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 antibiotics do is kill all the the bad bacteria but also the really good bacteria and that's why you hear often people talk about you should be taking a lot of probiotics right mm, yes um, either during or after or whatever yeah. and you know some doctors will say well don't take it during probiotics that's not necessarily true even though i'm not a doctor but i'm actually obsessed with medicine if as long as you take it two hours away it's not gonna it's not gonna have any issues but so the worst possible scenario is that that what happens is you end up with SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which basically means you're completely depleted of your good bacteria, completely mm. depleted, and the bad bacteria takes over because of those antibiotics, and you end up with something called Clostridium difficile, right? Wow. And that's what happened to me. So that is not a good place to be in right um if you go down far down that path you can actually end up having what's called a fecal transplant which is not not great right but luckily for me luckily for me there's the, the, that there's a medication which is which is called vancomycin which ended up killing that but actually two years later ended up getting the parasites back again but what the uh, what the, the specialist at St Vincent's actually suggested is instead of taking oral antibiotics, because obviously I was susceptible to what's Clostridium difficile or C. diff, um, they conduct uh, like a normal colonoscopy and f- use use liquid antibiotics to flush it out of your system that way. So that way it's directly mm. targeted. It's like a nuclear bomb directly targeting. A bit like when someone gets a cortisone injection in the shoulder, mm. rather than taking oral cortisone, which has a lot of side effects, they'll just go straight into the shoulder. So that's what happened to me. So anyway, it's not a great topic about real estate, guys, but it's an important one because... Yeah, it is. Gut health. So from now on, my gut health plan is I'm taking probiotics, prebiotics, um, slippery elm, aloe vera. Um, I aver- avoid certain foods. Like, you know, my, my protocol is is pretty strict because of that history and I've got that susceptibility for it. Mm. And, and you know, really I'm, I've, I'm not meant to be taking antibiotics. So, if, you know, it's not ideal if I end up with a tooth infection or a toe infection or anything like that because I've got a susceptibility towards antibiotics. And look... People do over-prescribe antibiotics, especially medical doctors these days. Um, but, you know, before penicillin or antibiotics were invented, you know, in, in, in the 50s and 60s, people were dying just of, like, you know, uh, ammonia and stuff. Mm. So they've got a place, but unfortunately they've been way over-prescribed and now that you t- that's why you're talking about superbugs and things like that that are immune from, from antibiotics, you know. Mm. So it's interesting. But I see it as a blessing because... I always looked after my body um, since then. I'd never had the flu shot. So when COVID hit, I was very, very fortunate to avoid the vaccine because it was like, you know, well, I never had to take the flu shot. Why should I take a, a vaccine? Especially if it's Good. like untested. Um, you know, I'm, I'm quite out. A lot of people know that I'm quite outspoken about um, things that to do with pro-choice and that that's one of them um you're on the right page lockdowns and all that sort of stuff which is yeah i'm quite outspoken about that it's very controversial i get it but look it is what it is we're on the Uh, same page yeah so yeah anyway so that's a bit of a health sort of vertical there tangent that we've Mm. gone on but i'm glad glad you asked it's true because that base level everything comes from health right if you don't have health you can't do anything i remember two years ago i broke my leg Mm. couldn't go out to listing appointments it's obviously different to gut health and what have you mm. but without your health you can't perform at the right level yeah and that's where i've seen agents like for example alexander phillips josh teslin's mm. obviously been on a health journey and yeah. what have you 
And that's what, I, what you start to see is with, when you look at all the top agents, they're all fit. They're all healthy. They're all looking after themselves. Because without that, you can't perform. Mm. 100%. I'd say at some stage, though, they probably weren't and mm. had to yeah. make sacrifices and learn, learn the hard way, you know. So, yeah, yeah I think, I don't know if that metaphor makes sense, paddle at 80%. It where, does. Where, where the, the market or your business probably won't know what's going on, but you could actually just work at 80%, mm. to use the same metaphor, focus on your health, get that back on track rather than quitting, which is what those boys, yeah. rather than quitting, they were like, well, let's just paddle at 80%. So interesting, interesting metaphor. But you, 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 part of your question also was like, what happens, you know, when you get punched in the face? You know, everything's going fine, but then you get punched in the face. Like I've had a bunch of adversity, man, happen to me. You know, like I've, I had a very um, public, uh, you know, sort of um, exit from a certain <coughs> business and, and you know that 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 was that was something that was well publicised, and and the media sort of had a bit of fun with that. Um, yeah, that's that's not good for your headspace. No one mm. wants to go through anything like that. But um, you know, you you, you just got to put one foot in front of the other, focus on what you're good at, and at the end of the day, um, you you end up with just better references, you know, because yeah. you've been through adversity. So adversity is definitely something that most successful people. Have, have been through, whether it's financial, health, um, mm. marital, whatever it is, you know, it, it is almost a prerequisite for success, you know. But usually what happens is when you have these setbacks that you've seen, mm. most people just, they just go down. Yeah. They don't ever recover. So I've got, a, we've actually got a viewer question here that yeah. relates. We've got Edward Brown that's actually asked oh, yeah, Ed. a question um, as longevity. Mm-hmm. How have you kept longevity in the business? Especially yep. with all the controversies you've been through, and but mm. you've, it always seems like you've come out better than what you were before. Mm. How have you done that? Mm. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I, I, I do feel that as cliche as outcomes or goals are, that they're very important to have. But in saying that. I don't feel that medium to long-term goals have much use, to be honest with you, because, you know, I, I had this you know, plan for myself, you know, to go to university, for example, and that didn't happen, you know. Mm. I had a job lined up, university to go, and that didn't happen. And then I had this other plan where I was at, you know, I was at, at a certain business for 26 years and then that was going to end up a certain way and then th- that stopped, you know. So right. I think it's very hard to create you know, five, ten-year goals, for example. I think mm. if you can live life in monthly and annual compartments, mm. I genuinely feel that's probably as, as, as good as it's going to get for mm. you mm. because it's very overwhelming if I said to you, okay, Kevin, mate, where do you see yourself in five years? I know that's a common question people mm. ask at, at job interviews or whatever. It's like, jeez, that seems a bit overwhelming, you know. Mm. Like, And to be honest, y- if you put it out there... And you're not there. Did you fail? Is it a disappointment? I, I, I don't necessarily think so. So, look, that's probably a little bit a contrarian view to most people where they're like, mm. oh, you need goals, <clears throat> five, ten years, all that sort of stuff. That's all nice and idealistic until you've been in that position, you get punched in the face and it doesn't work out exactly mm. that way and therefore you have to pivot, you have to recalibrate. So, so. For, for me, I think, to answer the question in terms of longevity, um, have more shorter-term goals, but also also feeling on purpose. Yeah. And what I mean by that is 
if you wake up every day and you genuinely feel like you're on purpose and you're doing what you should be doing, then it's easier to create longevity in your life because it's not like you're waking up and you're thinking, shit, I can't believe I've got to do this again today. Now, in saying that, we can't be idealistic either. And, and most of your audience are in real estate or buyers agency, right? So the bottom line is there will be parts of your role that you'll have to tolerate, right? Mm. But if you if you dislike them or resent them or hate what parts of what you're doing, mm. that's not good. That's not mm. a good sign, okay? So the majority of the time in your business or your role, you should feel on purpose, okay? And let's call it 80%. The other 20%, you should be tolerating it and just seeing it as a means to an end to achieve what you want to achieve. So mm. an example in, in, in buyer's agency, in your case, for example, might be, well, I don't exactly like having multiple conversations with buyers that are not qualified to find that out, but... I tolerate that because it's a means to an end mm. to actually doing a deal with someone who is qualified and and, and and making them feel really good and getting at a great outcome. Or Kevin, in your case, you know, you don't exactly like dealing with uh, a really difficult vendor mm. um, who is overpriced, unmotivated. You work on it for three months and you have to hand the keys back. That's mm. not great. No. But no. But you tolerate it <laughs> because it's a means to an end to, you know, and, you know the following month selling three auctions on in, in a row on a Saturday and whatever and making, you know, six stakeholders, buyers, sellers, you know, in all those transactions feel fantastic and achieve their life dream, for example. Mm. Yeah, mm. That, That's being on purpose, mm. right? But then again, I reckon there's a lot of people working in corporate Australia or blue-collar Australia who probably hate actually what they're doing. You yeah. know, if it's corporate Australia, they're jumping on a train, mm. they're sitting in a cubicle, they're working on spreadsheets, mm. they've got accountability and, and governance, you know, like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, and uh, that's that's hard to create longevity if, if, if you're doing that. So... Yeah. Can your purpose evolve? The answer is yes. Mm. So for me, I found a lot of purpose for a long time in, in listing, selling, negotiating, etc. I still enjoy that. Not every part of it, like, you know, um, maybe not the, the cold calling or the prospecting side, but do I feel on purpose today adding value and developing agents and, mm. you know, working with EBUs and identifying gaps and leakages within their business and then getting a message saying, Bowie, you know, I implemented this or I did that or I you know, used that dialogue or I used that process uh, and, and, you know, my business has doubled like that. that that's amazing. Yeah. That feels on purpose, you know. C can we talk a bit about your coaching? I uh, mm. actually had um, coffee um, with one of my mates and I said, oh, I'm doing a podcast with Adrian tomorrow. He goes, oh, Adrian, he, he's one of my coaches. Oh, right. And he goes, um, the way he coaches is very different because mm. it's very holistic. Mm. So the way that you coach, what's different about the way that you go about it? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question. I mean, there's actually not that many real estate coaches in Australia when you think about mm. it. You can count them on one hand. Uh, all, all, all very good at what they do. Mm. Um, and some some businesses and agents use me and, and sometimes them as well, which is mm. fine. Look, I think the main point of difference is mm. I don't know any other coach that 
for 30 years straight sold over 100 properties a year, every mm. year, year mm. on year, despite market conditions. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that to impress anyone, but to impress the importance of earning respect from agents because of being in the trenches for, you know, three mm. decades. Yeah. And going from like zero database to like um, building a database, building a team, you know, build, being a franchisee, being a franchisor, being a uh, executive of a public listed company, um, having my own con- consulting business. Like, so there's a lot of references there that I've got. And when you say holistic, it's an interesting description they've provided there. And, and it's flattering because, yes, I do like to go deep and granular. Like for me, coaching is not putting a motivational quote on a screen and then people feeling good for no, five minutes or said. two days and then, and mm. then, then going back to their old habits. That's mm. not coaching. To mm. me... Coaching is like, okay, why are you stuck? What's the blockage? Is it the story you're telling yourself? Is it the the strategy or lack thereof? Mm. Is it the state you're in, like energy-wise? Or is it a lack of skills? Mm. Usually it's one or all of those four things. Mm. And those four S's for me are really important because once I peel back the onion layer and actually get a bit deeper, I'll, I'll find that it's one or all of those things. Mm-hmm. And the most common one is the story they're telling themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, either it's a, a fear of failure, fear of success, fear of rejection, whatever it might be. But sometimes it, it is a fundamental lack of skills and they yep. just haven't been shown or taught the right way and that, that's fine. Um, but it can be a bit polarising too. So there's a lot of people... Not a lot, but I would say maybe 10% of the people that I've worked with in the past and say, Adrian, look, you're very direct. You, you've, you've made me feel quite quite vulnerable because you've really exposed my shortcomings. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, what I, that's my job. That's, that's my point. job. Yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm not here to just make you feel good and give you fluffy motivational quotes. Mm. Um, you know, so let's find out what the gap is because if we get this right, we can actually mm. change your life, not just physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but, you know, in all aspects of your life and you can live a much better life. And, and really, real estate is a game and a platform that if you're good at, actually funds and determines your real life. Now, your real life is actually your health, your spirituality, your family, your friends, your partner, your spouse, mm. etc. right? Yeah. So not saying, not saying that real estate is a game in the sense to be cavalier about the industry, not at all, but it really is a game in the sense that if you know the rules of it really, really well mm. and you don't take things too seriously or too personally and you protect your inner citadel, which the Stoics talk about, and I do include Stoicism a lot in my coaching. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in Stoicism. Um, then if you deal with those things, you'll find that your real life, which is, you know, family, spirituality, health, friends, social, etc., can, can, can be in a much better place. Yeah. yeah. What's been the biggest shift in your life that's contributed to fulfilment? I would say when you talk about a shift, I I would say evolution. And I think unless you're evolving, then you're probably dying, you know, Mm. Um, a bit like nature, you know, unless you're growing, you're dying. So I don't think it's a great strategy for people to remain static or in in inertia. So what I mean by that is 
you know, you constantly need to be evolving and improving. And Tony Robbins has got a great acronym for it, CANI, C-A-N-I, which is constant and never-ending improvement. Mm. So that can be incremental, though. Like, mm. if today happened and tomorrow you were just an incremental better version of yourself, either professionally or personally or as a father or as a husband or mm. a wife or whatever, then that's good right? But if you've gone backwards and haven't evolved and are not feeling on purpose, you, you, you need to take an x-ray on yourself and just see if this is really what you should be doing. So, you know, it's a bit like you've evolved because, you know, you were working for a different buyer's agent. Now you've got your own company. So, so what's next? It doesn't really matter what's next, but as long as the, that trajectory does mm. continue and there is evolution and there is progression as incremental as that might be. So when we when we talk about shift, I, I see that more as evolution. Are you evolving? Are you improving on a daily basis? As, and, and it might be incremental. That doesn't mean you're going to have bad days, bad weeks, because you will. That's mm. life, right? Remember I said life is not fair, life is life. And, and that's going to happen. You're going to have financial issues, health issues, um, relationship issues. That, that's just the way that life is designed. And it's a matter of how you evaluate, deal and interpret those adversities. So this is what the Stoics talk about a lot. Mm. So the, 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 one of the main Stoic philosophies is life is not about what happens to you but how you interpret it, mm. okay? Because everyone has different interpretations about what happens to them. And it's very easy to label an adversity as like, oh, why did this happen to me? This means that, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this, that and the other. Or it's like, okay, that's interesting. Um, what can I learn from it? Um, what's my interpretation? What's the opportunity here? And I'll treat that as a, as a reference now, you know. Mm. And another big Stoic philosophy is they, they talk about, you know, the controllables and the uncontrollables. So it's like... You know, give me the courage to focus on what I can control. Um, provide me uh, the strength to ignore what I can't control and the wisdom to actually know the difference of mm. which one is which. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So that's also a big... But there's a lot, lot more to Stoicism. But basically <clears throat> every modern form of psychotherapy, psychology um, is, is based on Stoic philosophy, you mm. know, which is whether it's cognitive behavioural therapy or psychotherapy, it's all based on, you know, psycho, uh, Stoicism, which is, you're talking, you know, was established in 400 BC, you know, so a long, long time ago. And mm. the, the, the great Stoics, which people would probably be most aware of, is Aurelius, Seneca and Epictetus, you know, they're the ones and it's, it's a great study, a great discipline for, for your viewers to immerse themselves in uh, because it will help them in all aspects of their lives, yeah. Yeah, wow. So I've got a question for you. Mm. Being at the age you are now, looking down at someone who's my age, 25, yeah. what order of operation would you focus on? If you, know, like knowing in your position, would you focus yeah. on building your finances first or spirituality or relationship, health? Like how would you yep. order things or would you go off looking where I currently am and adjusting things slightly? How do you go about creating a model to yeah. then manifest things or do you not want to look too far in the future and you want to kind of – like yeah, how, does that make – yeah, It does make sense. Kind of it like, does yeah, make sense. I'd love to hear your perspective and what, on that. And 
what you're basically asking is what sequential order mm. should my priorities be? Yeah. 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 In all the main pillars of life. And my response to you will be it's going to be different for everyone. And it goes back to what I was saying before about longevity was what makes you feel on purpose today? Mm. Okay. So is focusing on career, does that make you feel on purpose? Or, and this could be an and strategy, doesn't have to be an or strategy. Because mm. a lot of people think it is an or strategy where it's like, well, if I focus on my career, that means health must be cannibalised. Or if I focus on my career, relationships is just not going to work. You know, it doesn't have to be, but I talked about work-life harmony. It's never going to be balanced. Mm. So to say that in all the main pillars of your life, call it spirituality, health, financial, career, etc., it's going to be always balanced. Every It's just not going to be the case. You're going to have different chapters mm. of your life journey where you're going to feel a little bit more on purpose focusing on one thing and then the next month or the next year you'll feel a little bit more on f- purpose doing something else. So my recommendation is see where your energy's at, see where the frequency is and what you can relate to mm. and whatever makes you feel on purpose. And when, when we talk about, okay, well, what makes you feel on purpose? Well, what excites you? Mm. So what do you get excited by? If that's business at the moment and a little bit of health and a little bit of relationship but slightly biased towards business, that's okay. There's no right or wrong. No one's judging you mm. because in three years' time it might be the complete opposite mm. that excites you, you know. Like, and I think that's a really long way to also answer Ed's question about longevity is, mm. is evolving as a person, noticing what excites you and then having a slight bias towards that mm. excitement, okay, yeah. and feeling on purpose and also not being idealistic that you're going to love every aspect of your work because you're not. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, but as long as there's aspects that you can tolerate, but you shouldn't be disliking or resenting parts of your work. If that happens, that's when you start to maybe need to evolve into into something, mm. someone else or something else. Yeah. So find your frequency and run towards it. Basically, yeah. And Matt Matt Steinway mm. talks a lot about that. He's written a book about it recently, mm. Frequency, which which I think you know is, is is great. And it's nothing really tangible that you can put your hand on Frequency, but I but mean, you can feel it. You can feel it, and you know, there's you know, Matt and many others talk about the law of attraction. It was commercialised many years ago by a documentary called The Secret, which you know people sort of got really excited about. But that that actually law of attraction's been around for. For centuries, um, and it's effectively, you know, what you put out to the universe will come back to you in, yeah. in spades. Mm, yeah. But you've got to go there first, you know. Mm. The um, actions have to align. Mm. Uh, and sometimes um, you have yeah. to have the courage to. Let's say, uh, growing up, you wanted to make this money or achieve this goal, but mm. it, having that, you creates resistance in the body, and it yes. may not be on purpose to what you truly should be focusing on. Yes, I feel sometimes from my experience, sometimes having the courage to allow yourself to change course yes. is also part of it. Have yes. you had an experience? Yeah, Would you have, agree or disagree have, with that? I hundred percent agree with that because if you're feeling off purpose and if you're chasing money or material objects or whatever they might be, you could get there and still not necessarily be satisfied or happy. You know, mm. like there's a lot of miserable, wealthy people, right? And there's a lot of very content uh, people that don't necessarily have much wealth. So mm. that, that in itself tells you that, you know, 
if you're chasing towards something that you think is going to provide you satisfaction and fulfillment, mm. you'll often get there and think, well, wow, what happens next? Like, it's yeah. like when, you know, in the 60s when, when Armstrong and Aldrin went to the moon, they literally came back with clinical depression, mm. literally, because it's like, wow, these guys achieved the impossible mm. to get to the moon and actually no one's done it since and that was like, you know, 60 years ago, right? Um, they literally came back with clinical depression because it was like, wow, wow. where do I go through from there? You know, like I literally went to the moon and back. So they need and, – and they weren't prepared for it. The people – their team wasn't prepared for it. So they literally had to go through a lot of psychotherapy and even medication to actually get better. So I do genuinely feel that, you, you know, shorter-term goals are a lot better than longer-term goals. Mm. And I genuinely feel that – if you're not aligning to something that you're striving for, it's okay to, to, to change and pivot and go off course for a while. Like if you need to go to, you know, East Asia and find yourself for six months, then that's, that's okay, you know. Um, a lot of people in, <laughs> yeah, A lot of people in a hurry, I think, to achieve this success, quote-unquote success. Mm. This word success is, is very myopic in my opinion. That's why... Whoever described my coaching as holistic, I think that's very accurate because, mm. you know, I'll unpack a lot of people's verticals in their life, not just mm. real estate. I'll look so, at other areas as well. So you, you do a lot of coaching and you obviously pick up on a lot of gaps and where people are going wrong. Mm. What do you think are the most common mistakes people are making in their own lives, whether it be business or personal? The it's, most common. Yeah. The, the most common in my opinion, would be they don't having have a compelling enough purpose. Mm. Um, it's been a bit commercialised with Simon Sinek where he's like, what's your why? Yeah. Um, but despite being commercialised, it's very accurate. Mm. So if you don't know why you're waking up every day and doing what you're doing, there's no way that you can sit in front of a vendor or a buyer or, or, or a team member or whatever it is and have that overwhelming energy and compelling enough story to mm. have people buy and sell through you. That, that's, the, that's the bottom line, okay? Because if you're distracted and not feeling on purpose and you're not 100% on what you're doing and you've woken up and you're actually only operating at 40 or 50% because either you had a massive night the night before or you got issues at home or your health's off track or whatever, frankly, you don't deserve to be sitting in front of that client because that client deserves nothing but 100% from mm. you, okay? They're paying you a lot of money. Like this mm. is an industry where you can earn a lot of money if you crack the code. So I think firstly, having a compelling enough purpose. I think that's that's critical. Secondly, a common pitfall is looking for shortcuts. Mm. You know, so especially in real estate, right? Because you've got so many businesses that affiliate with the real estate industry that are either technology businesses or artificial intelligence businesses or whatever, and they'll approach agents and say, look, if you do this, then you'll be able to achieve, you know, success quicker, etc." So they'll, they'll, they'll default to that shortcut. Mm. I'm not saying there's not a place for those products. Don't get me wrong. Like, there is a place. But I see them as a complement mm. to traditional hard work 
traditional forms of prospecting, traditional forms of listing, selling, negotiating. But if you're looking for shortcuts, it's you, you're going to be disappointed because yep. they just do not exist. Because you know, I've been in this industry 35 years, mm. and let me tell you, the biggest revolution in the 20th century was the internet, so REA mm. and domain. Yeah. And the biggest revolution in the 21st century was social media. But that's it. Everything mm. else, the fundamentals of prospecting, list negotiating, selling, is exactly the same, same, same. 35 years ago that it is today. Yep. Right. So that's only one major revolution, mm. you know, per, per 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 century, basically. Right. And I think in 10 years, sure, artificial intelligence might play a little bit more of a role. Technology might play a little bit more of a role, but. I still feel that the conduit being us as either a buyer's agent or a seller's agent is absolutely necessary. That's why our business and our industry hasn't been disintermediated or hasn't been disrupted where you look at our equivalents like travel agencies, Mm. for example, you know, they've been at least disrupted and in many cases disintermediated altogether. Mm. But I don't see that happening in real estate. And and there was a lot of talk about it, right? There was a lot of talk about Mm. that happening like 10 years ago. Mm. But all that happens is that the, the industry just evolves. So now you've got buyer's agency, which is probably one of the most burgeoning, you know, verticals of the of the real estate industry. Mm. And I think that's great, mm. but at the end of the day, it really is real estate agents' fault for not servicing buyers properly, right? Spot we, on. We, we, we should, we, there shouldn't be buyer's agents. I'm, gra- I'm glad there is, right? But if, if real estate agents did their job properly, it wouldn't be such a big industry, right? Mm. But then you look at the mortgage industry and why that's so burgeoning. So most people would deal with a broker rather than a bank, okay? Correct. Um, and you look, at, you look at technology, you know, I, I can speak from experience because I'm not a technology native, meaning that I started real estate with no REA, no domain, no wow. email, no internet, no database, no CRMs, nothing, mm. no RP data, mm. nothing. So all technology has done and AI has done is reduced days on market, made the job easier for the agent mm. and allow the agent to do more volume. It's true. Mm. That's, all it's, that's all it's done. So I th- And now with super teams and efficiencies and EBUs, et cetera, I, I just see that being more of a case. And now you've got agent direct models that have evolved. So if I wanted to open a business from scratch 10 years ago, it would have been very, very hard. Now you've got all these agent direct models or even franchisors are now even offering bespoke models Mm. where if I wanted to open a business tomorrow, I could actually be live within 10 days if I really, really wanted Mm. to, right? So there's there's an, a, an evolution in the industry occurring, but mm. not a disruption as, mm. as such. And if, if it is a disruption, it's only in our favour as, as agents yeah. and buyers. And actually in the favour of the consumer as well, because it's yeah. an easier experience mm. to be a buyer and walk into an open house today, download a strata report or a pest and building straight away, have a contract emailed to you in seconds. Like, you know, I'm talking like when I first got into real estate, you know, someone would walk through the inspection, ask for a contract, you'd put that in the post, they maybe wow. may or may not have got it in two days' time. They wanted to do pest and building, yeah, you'd organise that. If you wanted to get the property advertised, there was, it wasn't like you just took photos and posted it online, like you would ring the local paper and then send your, 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 your material off and it might or might not appear. Sometimes they just forget to do it mm. in 10, 14 days' time. So everything was just harder. Now it's just yeah. easier. Easier. So it's a better experience for all stakeholders, buyers, sellers, and agents. You know, it's true. How has your prospecting plan evolved 
with the framework of let's set monthly or annual goals. Yeah. Because sometimes that, that's something I'm, I'm at the stage now in my thinking is do we saturate a core area and think 10 years, five years down the track or do I think about who can I put in my ecosystem that over a month or 12 month I can service? How would you... Yes. Does that make... Yeah. It does, it does make sense. It's a good question. So even though I'm suggesting your goals should be short term... Your vision for your career, if you've decided to be in real estate or buyer's agency for the rest of your career, then that needs to be a long-term vision. So you need to be speaking with, meeting with, or prospecting or entering people into your database today Mm. that are not necessarily looking to buy or sell, okay? However, if you add value to them over a long period of time with a high degree of frequency, a high degree of adding value, a high degree of trust, then I can tell you through experience that that is a commission and a deal and a relationship in five, ten years' time. Mm. You know, I have mm. literally have people calling me every week saying, Adrian, I've been getting your, your newsletter or you and your team have been calling me for 15 years. Mm. I'm actually now ready to do something, you know. Mm. Uh, and, and most of that is uncontested business, mm. right? So when they say, as cliche as it sounds, frequency builds trust, it is true. It's true. Um, and we even know that through our current campaigns. So if you're not speaking to your vendor every single day, if you're not face-to-face with them every single week, and if you're not submitting offers every single week and flexing their negotiation muscles, we all know that we can get to auction day or if you're private treaty-based, present a really good offer and they will make a mistake sometimes and say, no, I don't think that's the right offer. I don't feel that Ah. we've met the right buyer. I don't feel that the marketing has worked because you you haven't shown enough effort Mm. and you haven't built enough trust and rapport with that client Mm. to deserve the right to provide what I call indiscriminate news because... This client is not unfamiliar with indiscriminate news because when they're dealing with their doctor, lawyer or accountant, Mm. those trusted advisors provide good or bad news. It doesn't really matter. But what do they always do and come in over the top? They provide a solution. Mm. So if it's a medical um, example, sure, there's a diagnosis but here's my prescription to get it sold. Mm. If it's your accountant, okay, here's an ATO tax ruling but here's the solution to get through. Mm. So... It's okay to sit in front of your vendor after the first Saturday and say, Adrian, we're off track. We did talk about this as being one of the options when we had our set-to-sell meeting last week. The good news is I've got some recommendations on some levers that we can control in a market where there's a lot of uncontrollables in order to get it back on track. These are my recommendations. You know, where... A lot of agents sometimes have that discussion, but sometimes have it after the second or third week, it's too late. You, you can't do anything yeah, about it. Yeah. Or wait to have the tough conversation at the reserve meeting. Well, that's just too late, yeah. you know? So I'm not suggesting we go through a conditioning process, <coughs> but I'm suggesting we go through an education process and be less, dis- less, less discriminant on our news and our reporting to the owners whether it's good or bad just provide the news but always have recommendations there yeah so mm. you've said you've said obviously selling over 100 properties per year for quite a long time mm. what's your highlight of your career and what did you learn from it yeah that's good 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 question um so i'd say i'd have a few i'd say i have a few highlights um we're definitely definitely achieving 
number one agent at McGrath on multiple occasions was yep. was a massive highlight because in those days that was definitely the breeding ground of the best of the it best. Was the it's, best of the yeah, best. Yeah, still still a terrific brand today, and they're still one of my clients today. I work very closely with. Very good. But brand. you had um, like ninety percent of all the good agents in the eastern suburbs. Yes. Yes. McGrath. Yeah, absolutely. So. A great, a great uh, breeding ground for, for great talent, no doubt. So to be number one agent on, on a few occasions when my average sale price was a lot less than a lot of my peers, mm. that, was, that was very rewarding mm. uh, and, and, and I would consider that a highlight for sure. Yep. Would you say that success came from your prospect system or plan? What was yes, yes, prospecting. You know, I've always been known to be a very consistent and diligent prospector. So without fail, without fail, in my diary between 8.30 and 10.30, no matter if I was carrying six listings or, or 16, mm. then that two hours was dedicated to what I call proactive prospecting, mm. which is nothing to do with prospecting with your current campaigns. So. Mm. The mistake, and this goes back to your other question, what's one of the most common mistakes agents make is they don't diversify their prospecting activities consistently. So what I mean by that is if they end up with five or six listings and they're only used to one or two, they'll get consumed into campaign prospecting. Why? Because it's urgent. Like if you don't do callbacks and you don't return buyer's calls and you don't submit offers to your vendor or don't update your vendor or don't turn up to an open house, the ramifications are severe and immediate. Mm. But if you've got a database of people you know own property and you're not calling them on a daily basis, regardless if you've got six or 16 listings, then the ramifications are severe, but they're not as immediate. Mm. You the only reason you don't have enough listings today is because you didn't do enough database non-campaign prospecting 60 to 90 days ago. Mm. So when I talk about diversification of prospecting activities, I'm talking about database prospecting, which should include your hot list chase list, it should include past buyers, past sellers, and it should include pipeline owners that you've met who one of them might have said they're getting carried out in a box, the other one might have said, call me in two weeks, I'm ready to sell, and everyone in between, right? Yep. So that's that's one that's one area. The second one is your campaign work, which we've talked about. The third one is your success marketing, which is, okay, every time I list and sell a piece of real estate, am I following a checklist of one to five things that I do consistently without fail within 24 to 48 hours of that property being listed and within 24 to 48 hours of that property going unconditional. And that could include cold calling, door knocking, social media, letterbox, whatever it is, Mm. but you have to do it as a set and forget where a lot of agents I speak to, they're like, well, I do do that, but I just do it sometimes. It's like, well, that's not going to work. So if you look at your six-day working week, you can see where those three buckets, if you like, can be misaligned and you can get consumed in one of them instead of focusing on all three of them. Mm. And I guarantee that if you do that, you'll have a far more consistent business and you won't experience that roller coaster ride of income, which unfortunately is mm. very, very common in both industries, I would say in buyer's agent and, and seller's agencies. Yeah. Sweet. Um, what were some other key high, uh, career highlights for you? Oh, look, definitely... Given, given I was always a fan of academia, to be able to graduate with a, with a master's degree, even though it's mm. not a career highlight, it's a, it's a, it's a professional highlight. Mm. So being able to actually 
do that without an undergraduate and, and, and you know, spread it out over a, a few years and, and study very hard, knowing I always had that pebble in my shoe around academia at school, but unfortunately the way it was set up, I just wasn't able to pass the HSC, therefore wasn't being able to go to university. Mm. Um, so that was definitely a professional, a professional highlight. I also think, you know, starting my own my own office, and I've done that twice now, like one in a company-owned environment, um, and that particular office made it to the number one or two office within the network within within 12 months, you know, mm. within, within the McGrath network. That was very rewarding due to recruitment and productivity. So that, mm. was, that was extremely rewarding. And I would also say probably, you know, launching my, my consulting coaching business, yeah. you know. Um, and I've got a lot of personal highlights like meeting my wife. We've been, we've been married for, for 12 years. You know, even though it was very late in life, it was, it was, it was a, great, a great privilege to be able to share your life with someone where, you know, I left home at 17 and didn't actually live with another human being till, till 38. Yeah, so wow. no flatmate, no girlfriend, wow. like... I actually lived on my own for 21 years. How was that? Loved it? Well, I, I, at the time... The bachelor pad. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, I actually thought it was, it was a good thing. Mm. And I think I convinced myself of that. But now looking back, it was actually really a lonely existence. Yeah, okay. Like Fair you think enough. about it, 21 yeah. years. And that was just due to my own little nuances and my own little anxieties and my own little quirkiness about... You know, and, and, you know, really, a lot of people talk about OCD, you know, yeah. so a lot of people use that term frivolously and, and, and they say it, you know, quite, quite in a cavalier manner. But OCD is actually a clinical diagnosis, you know, mm. and as a lot of people know, I'm an advocate for mental health only because I've been through mental health issues in the past. And that, that is my diagnosis, OCD. Yep. So it was very crippling mm. in those days because... People think, oh, OCD, is that when people, like, you know, have to go back and check they didn't leave the stove on or something? Mm. It is that, but it's also, like, I look back when I was living on my own, for example, and I was in the height of my OCD diagnosis. I literally couldn't leave to go to work unless my socks were colour-coded. Like, mm. I, I, I just, there was something within me that was like, how, how can you actually go to work mm. unless you don't sort out your sock drawer? Do you know what I mean? So it's... and. The other part of OCD is rumination of thoughts, you know, mm. which is you've just got this constant rumination in your mind. And, you know, anyone who's an OCD expert will tell you that that, that is the wolf in sheep's clothing, yeah. and which a lot of people call the voice in your head. You know, you've got this... So you don't have to suffer from OCD to have the voice in your head. Mo all of us actually have it. Mm. It's just that for some people... It's it's a lot more overwhelming than yeah. than others. So if anyone's ever watched the Fight Club with Ed Norton and Brad Pitt, yes, what a you, movie! You, yeah, so that's that is that is the epitome of the wolf in sheep's clothing, yeah. or the shadow, if you like, or the voice, because you don't learn until the end of the film that Brad Pitt was just a metaphorical yeah. version of Ed Norton. He yeah. actually wasn't real or tangible, mm. but. He was so palpable because his ruminations and the voice and the wolf was so powerful in his head that it was disguised as the sheep and the viewers during the entire movie thought it was actually another person and another yep. character. Till the very end. That's right. So 
What a trip out of a movie. Yeah. That. So that will that will help people mm. know what I'm talking about. And it's a really interesting topic because it's another issue that I I often diagnose and, and come across in real estate is is this issue of mental health. Yep. And Big time. I don't know why. I'm still trying to figure out whether does the industry make us suffer from mental health or does the industry attract people who are either OCD or A-type personalities who already have high anxiety or potentially depressing thoughts? Does the industry attract those type of people? I haven't quite worked that out yet, but I do know that probably at least half of the people that I work with have some sort of mental health issues. That's a huge amount in the industry, right? And I do feel that I'm equipped, I wouldn't say qualified because I don't have the qualification, but I'm certainly equipped and know enough about it to have helped a lot of people through that journey. And that's something that I would also call a career highlight where I've literally talked people out of suicide. So that's something that's that's very rewarding as well. So let's flip it then. Instead of your career highlight, let's talk about your worst day in real estate, whether it be the controversy or whatever it may be. What's the worst day in real estate you've had? And how did it affect your mental health and mm. how did you overcome it? Look, uh, I'd have to say when, you know, when a certain event was very well publicised and all over the, the Daily Telegraph and, you know, there was photographers out the front of my house, you know, for, for weeks and Jeez. just waiting for you to go for a walk with the dog and literally knocking on your door asking for a comment and... I mean, that, that wasn't great, I'll be honest with you. It was a very dark time mm. and, and uh, sure, you know, m- my mental health and that, that wolf, that mm. wolf came, you know, came out again, there's no doubt about it, and was saying all the wrong things and, you know. Um, but I got out of it. I got out of it mm. because I, I focused on the Stoic philosophy, which is I can't control what's happened. I know that I didn't do anything wrong and the people who, who care... Who, or who I care about knew that, right? And I just put one foot in, in front of the other and focused on doing really good work, mm. whether it was sales, whether it was coaching, whether it was advising. And then one week turned into a month, turned into a year. And then the irony is that that News Corp owned the Daily Telegraph and they also own... They also own um, uh, Sky News. So I went from... Which you're still on, right? Yeah, that's right. So (laughs) I went from being, you know, vilified in the press to now by the same entity uh, being weekly as a a real estate spokesperson (laughs) nationally. You know what I mean? So I love that irony. Love how it comes full circle, Yeah, but that that doesn't just happen, right? That doesn't just happen. That means you've got to get up every day... You've got to put one step foot in front of the other. You've got to not focus on what you can't control, only focus on what you can control. Mm. And also have the appropriate interpretation of that event. So yep. it's not, you know, 90% of life is not what happens to you, it's how you interpret it. Mm. What does it mean? What are you going to do about it? What's the opportunity there? Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think that hopefully that answers your question. And uh, But the good thing is... I've actually got zero uh, bad blood and about any of that period of time, even though there were some bad actors involved. Uh, I actually speak to them all today and there's, there's just no issues. It was really no one's fault apart from, you know, 
that at that particular moment in time, you know, people had certain agendas and made certain decisions and, yeah, there was a bigger, a bigger sort of target at, at, at stake at that particular time and I unfortunately got in the way. And, You're and in the that's crossfire. The, yeah, that, that's just life, right? Life, life ain't fair. Life is life. That's uh, I've said a few times today. So, you know, but to say that it didn't affect me is not true. To say that it wasn't a dark time is not true. And, you know, I've, I've, I've publicly said before that I, I literally was in bed for two weeks, you know, but, but only two weeks where a lot of people... Everyone they, would they, they, they could shell. They yeah, wouldn't be able to get out of it. Well, you've only got to walk... We're, we're in the CBD here. By the time you, you walk back to your car or your form of transport, you, you, you will see homeless people. Yeah. And they were people like you and I at mm. some point. Mm. But the, the, the wolf took over the sheep... Something bad happened in their life, whether it was financial, marital, business, whatever. And unfortunately, the wolf took over the sheep in their head and that voice took over and now they're, they're homeless and maybe addicted to drugs or alcohol, whatever it might be. So it's actually not that hard to get to that point mm. if, you, if you don't control that wolf, mm. you know, and because otherwise it will control you. So you just got to be really careful and make sure that if anything does happen in your life, which it will, adversity will happen, that you have the appropriate interpretation of that and almost budget for it. So mm. the, the great Stoics budget for adversity all the time. So, you know, Tim Ferriss often talks a lot about, you know, what's the worst thing could happen to me financially? I go broke. So what I'm going to do is eat baked beans for the next two weeks just to, what, just to see what it feels like to live on baked beans for two weeks. And then he does it and he comments that, you know what, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad, <laughs> right? So he's actually conditioning himself and preparing himself. You know, and Tim Ferriss is one of the, the great sto- stoic philosophers, uh, as is Ryan Holiday in the modern time anyway. So, yeah, it's, an, it, it's interesting. But, no, I hope that... That answer is, has helped people, but because you know the worst thing could happen to you, and 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 it's only the worst thing if you label it as that, right? So one thing I've learned after 52 years on this planet and 35 years in this industry is life is full of outcomes, mm. but it's never the final outcome. It's just one outcome mm. which leads to another outcome, mm. right? So there's an old fable which is this. This will help explain that. Which and it'll only go for a second, but it's like you know this farmer had some horses on his property and they were working horses, so they were helping him make a living. And one of the horse bolted off, and the neighbour said to him, "Oh, that's terrible. Well, what are you going to do?" And he said, "We don't know yet. Let's see what happens." So a few days later, the horse comes back with three other horses, right? And they even more horses now to work on the property. And his neighbour said to him, that's a great thing. And he said, well, we don't know yet. Let's see what happens. One of the new horses, the farmer's son, jumped on to try and settle it down. And uh, the horse bucked him off it and the, and the, the son broke his leg. And the neighbour said to the farmer, oh, that's terrible, isn't it? He said, I don't know yet. Let's see what happens. Then the, in a few months' time, conscription came for the war and his son avoided going to war right, because he busted his leg and the neighbour said, oh, that's a good thing, isn't it? And, and the guy said, well, I don't know, let's see what happens. And it goes on and on. Do you know what I mean? It's so true. they're outcomes. Life is full of outcomes, yet we're very, very quick to labour them as good or bad. Yeah. And I've, I was in that position where when something Just bad happened to me, I was like, that was a bad outcome. But now I look at it and think, 
what a great outcome because it's led to the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one, you know? You can only connect the dots while looking back. You can't see it moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Um, we've got another viewer question here from Benny. Yeah. Um, hi, guys. My question is, if somebody asks you for an appraisal as they're selling, but then they decide they aren't quite ready yet for any reason, let's just say an example that they have too many personal things happening at the moment. How often would you contact them until they are ready to sell without being too pushy and annoying them? Yeah. Also, what would you talk about each time you contact 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 them until they decide to sell? Yeah. Cheers, yeah. Ben. Okay, great question. So firstly, you still do the appraisal. So if someone says, look, I don't wanna waste your time, Adrian, you know, I'm not looking to sell, but sure, I'd be delighted to get an updated opinion of value. Great, you certainly do it. I mean, I've, I've met agents who say, look, I don't do price checks, I only do listing appointments. I think that's an erroneous decision. I don't mm. think that's gonna be a good, a good decision. Sure, if you've evolved into a super team and you've got very qualified associates that are capable of doing that, that's great. Mm. Um, but as you're developing, you should definitely attend that appointment. Now, in terms of what's the frequency of contact and what's the content of contact, that's what that's what the viewer's asking. Yeah. I genuinely believe that it really depends on what the conversation was like at that listing appointment. So let's say the conversation is, look, as I said, I didn't want to waste your time. I'm not really looking to sell. But look, my, my husband has been offered a job transfer. And look, it's not not really anything that we're thinking about seriously at the moment, but, you know, you just never know. To me, that's uh, that, that, that could literally be a property that comes on the market in three or four weeks or three or four years. You just don't know. So best practice, in my opinion, best practice is when you're doing a price check and it's not a listing appointment and they're definitely not selling straight away, best practice is handwritten thank you card, right? Best practice is also a phone call within 24 hours just to say, hey, I just wanted to touch base to see if I missed anything or if you had any questions that you didn't get an opportunity to ask me when I was at your house yesterday uh, or, or if I can assist you with anything further. So a lot of people don't do that part. They just schedule the call for whenever. So I think that's that. That's best practice. Next best practice would be establishing through a CRM or through Outlook, whatever whatever type of, of system you're using, it actually doesn't really matter because that's probably one of the most common questions mm. I get asked is what's the best CRM? There, there is no best CRM. As long as you've got a system, mm. then that's a good one, right? Mm. For me, 30 years ago, it was a, a, a card box system mm. with, you know, and that yeah, worked. I had that and, too. Yeah, and now it's, it's a CRM, you know. But as long as you're adding in brief notes, mm. Um, whether it's Outlook or Agent Box or Locked On, doesn't really matter what it is. As long as you're adding in brief notes saying, look, I've appraised the property at 1.2 million, not immediate seller, however, possibly job transfer, something as simple as that, right? Then you you schedule the, the next contact after you've made that initial call, you schedule that next contact. I would say the next appropriate one would, would be 30 days. Mm. And in terms of what do you say in that 30-day period, then it's not about scripts or dialogues. It's more about what's the objective of this call, okay? So I would rather people follow a list of objectives rather than sticking mm. to a script and dialogue because I'm not a big fan of scripts and dialogues. You might have heard me talk about this before because if we all follow the same scripts and dialogues, we're all going to sound the same, not to mention our competition is no longer other agents that are calling mm. clients. It's other call centres and guess what, they're reading off a script or in a dialogue and they're selling electricity or energy or whatever it is, right? So 
I'd rather have a list of objectives. So objective number one would be a really nice introduction. So saying, hi, it's Adrian Bowe here from XYZ Real Estate, you know, and uh, I, I had the pleasure of meeting you a month ago. So introduction. Yeah. Second, acknowledge the previous conversation because what clients don't like is when there's no nexus between the conversations, mm. right? So if you just make that call and say, oh, yeah, I'm just calling, if you decide to sell, yeah, that's not going to work. It's like mm. acknowledge and say, say, um, you know, Kevin, I, I understand last time we spoke that, you know, your husband was potentially looking at job transfer. I was actually really thinking about it last night and I thought what a, what a great opportunity that potentially could be for you and your family. Mm. Um, I was just cu- actually personally curious to see how that progressed, if it did progress at all, right? Oh, thanks for uh, asking, Adrian. It actually fell through, so it's not going to happen. We're going to stay put. Okay, excellent. So intro, acknowledge conversation. The yeah. third thing, what do you do, is a result and a story. So a result and a story could be a just listed, just sold. And what's mm. what's 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 this story in relation to that? You can't tell me that there's not in the 30-day period, mm. you're not able to come up with a property that's sold or listed near them, either through you or someone else. And there was a story behind it, whether it was a buyer that came from an adjoining suburb, a different state, uh, it went for a, a X above reserve. There was so many groups through, whatever it might be. Just add value, regard, even though they're not looking to sell. Mm. And then you would go to the next objective on the list, which which is would they want to, based on that, based on that story, does that excite you to actually get a price up out? Now, in this particular case, you wouldn't have to revisit again mm. unless they actually made capital improvements 30 days. But actually based on that, did you know that I know I valued it at one two, but I actually think now it's probably closer to one three, mm. right? So that's an instant dopamine hit for the client over the phone with you actually not having to actually visit them again, mm. right? The next objective on your list would be a new note. Mm. So job transfer fell through, staying put. Mm. And the next objective on the list would be retask or reappoint, which in that particular case for me would probably be 90 days time, yeah, right? right? And then in 90 days time, what do you do? You follow those six Same objectives process. again. You know, and it's a different conversation every time. Zero script, zero dialogue, just six wow. pieces of objectives there, yeah. right? And that's how you add value. That's how you build relationships. That's how you nurture data, right? So if I could wave a magic wand for every person listening to this, they should be able to press a button on their CRM, have 30 to 50 calls to make that day that was scheduled either from a week ago or three months ago, mm-hmm. where you follow those as six objectives. I know it works. Why? Because I did it for 30 years straight for two mm. hours every single day, as well as manage campaigns, as well as success marketing, mm. right, as well as running a business. So I know it's doable. The only challenge is most people get consumed in one or the other. Mm. So it needs to be an and strategy. Prospecting activities need to be an and strategy, not an or strategy. That's mm. where, that's where it, it's, it becomes an issue for people. Get comfortable in the mundane. Yeah. So I've got another one from Lucy Khan. She's actually just asked, um, "What? how do you think AI will change real estate? So I think we've touched on it briefly. Mm. I, I, all, all I feel AI is going to do is, is make life easier for us. Because as I said, 
The biggest revolution in the 20th century was, was the internet. What did that do? Just reduced days on market, right? And and reduced getting properties live, reduced the days of getting properties live, right? So that mm. made a social media, what's that done? It's helped agents boost their profile a lot easier, right? Mm. Um, what's so in the 2020s, mm. obviously we've seen AI now. What's that gonna do? Well, it's 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 not gonna replace agents. Yeah. Uh, the opposite. It's it's gonna actually educate agents more. It's gonna make it easier to to uh, write articles about a certain subject. Um, it's probably not great for copywriters, professional copywriters, because that's probably easier to do now. So yeah. um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with professional copywriters. I think if someone attends the property and can walk through and, and has a really good skill set mm. for writing copy, I think there's still a place for that. But mm. I don't think AI is going to interfere. I think I don't think it's going anywhere either. It's, mm. it's obviously mm. something that's going to evolve and it's only going to become more relevant and I also feel that it's there, there will be there will be something that'll happen in the real estate industry that will be quite prolific in terms of AI. I don't know. I don't know what it is yet. Yeah. I mean, Rita seems to be the the, the best AI product yeah. out there at the moment, owned by CoreLogic now. And the two main functions of Rita is one, it can create a daily call list. Mm. But again, if you just look at what I just talked about, you actually don't need that unless you've got orphan data, right? Mm. If you've got orphan data of 5,000 people that you don't know where to start, I think Reader's a great way to create a call list for you, right? Um, and then it, the second function of Reader creates a daily transcript via yeah. SMS to people. So all that's great, but does it replace you calling that client who I appraise and going through those six ob- objectives mm. every, every three-month period? Or someone who bought a property from you a year ago and calling them three times a year and actually touching base with them in addition to AI connecting with them. I think it needs to be a a, a layered approach. So it will definitely not replace. It will simply complement what we're doing. And, but I still think there, there's something bigger coming. You know, I think Reader's a good first step, but there'll probably be something probably which, which will have something to do with buyers. So it could be in your space with buyers agents where I think that it'll make it a lot easier for, for, for buyers to connect mm. with, with, with property. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. But it's not going to replace our roles. There's, there's no question about that. No one can replace that instinct on when to call someone, what to say, be a trusted advisor, um, take the emotion out of out of you know the the negotiation process. That's that that's always going to have that human element involved. You know. Sweet. Um, so my last question for you, um, in terms of your coaching, consultancy, and what have you, what what type of programs do you offer for real estate agents? Yeah. Good. Good. Good question. So. If people go to my my website, which is just adrianbow.com, it's all on there. But the most popular modules, I would say, would be a masterclass. So a masterclass is a two-hour session where effectively you'll walk out of that knowing best practice in all the main pillars of real estate. The main pillars I call... uh, database management, prospecting, the listing process, vendor management, buyer work and personal marketing, right? There's nothing There's nothing more you need to know apart from that. 
the best part about that is I'll also act as your accountability coach moving forward once you, once you do that. Another really popular one is an EBU master session, right? So it's really getting the entire EBU in a, in a, in a room mm. and designing in real time swim lanes, job descriptions, clarity, uh, daily accountability, uh, creating an agenda for a work in progress meeting that occurs every 24 hours. Like I can't tell you how many teams just wing it and are not actually structured enough. So that's really popular. Another really popular one is business advisory. So Mm. there are a lot of really good agents who just happen to evolve into business ownership yet aren't really skilled in that and are therefore a little bit confused around what's my purpose, which we talked about before, Mm. what's my highest and best use? Should I be a selling principal or should I be a manager? And if I'm a manager, how do I recruit? How do I retain? How do I I create good culture? How do I read a P&L? So often good agents just evolve into business owners Mm. without the right type Mm. of preparation Mm. or education, even though I think you know, some franchises do a reasonable job at it, but not everyone's part of a franchise. They, they're in independent organisations or part of an agent direct model. So, you know, that's that's an important one for me and a popular one because, mm. you know, I really look at what's your highest and best use and how do you actually run a successful business and or be a successful agent at the same time. Um, yeah, so they, they're the most popular, but there's a whole bunch of stuff. I've got online courses as well. Um, we've just launched a new a new hub or a new platform, which is great, uh, in CoLab with uh, Nick Friend. So it's basically a platform of thousands of, of tools and templates and resources, including lead generation tutorials and whatever you can dream of, mm. uh, which is just a sub- monthly subscription. So if you're an agent or a business owner, you, you, you could have all the tools at your disposal and it's brand agnostic so it's not you can just brand it whichever way you want um so that's also on my website so a whole bunch of stuff but yeah i I would say you know master classes ebu principal advisory uh, are are the most common and what's the website adrianbow.com pure cool beautiful appreciate it my last question for yourself Mm. would be what advice would you give to your current self now and why Current self. Oh, current self. Oh, so what advice? Oh, now that I'm equipped with hindsight, you mean you mean? So you're good at giving advice for others to take. What advice would you give to yourself to take? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, (laughs) it's a good one. Um, I'd be saying to myself, Adrian. You know, just look at what's in front of you. Don't overwhelm yourself with next week or next year. Mm. Let's just live life. Like I was telling people to live life in sort of yearly compartments. I think at my age, at 52, it's literally indeed be in daily compartments because I could look at my diary for Friday and probably get overwhelmed. So, so I, I would say let's look at in front of you. Um, live life in daily compartments. I would also say control is an illusion. So when you think that... You can control things. You can certainly influence things. But to say, right, next year I'm going to do you know, this amount of sales and my health is going to be this and I'm going to earn X amount of GCI, it's, it's all an illusion because everything's fine till you get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. And we're all going to get punched in the face, whether it's, it's whatever quality of adversity it is, health, financial, marital, whatever, business, it, it, it's, it's coming. It's coming. So... The Stoics just budget for it and 
just just know that it's not the events in your life that matter it's how you interpret them and just see things as one outcome and don't be so quick to label it as good or bad give it time before you lay it's okay to label it later but just don't label it straight away because you don't know it could be a, a, a piece of serendipity that could look like a poor outcome but ultimately is a very very good outcome mm. so or, or the opposite something might seem like a really good outcome but then later on it becomes a poorer outcome so just don't label outcomes that the only final outcome is really our mortality is mm. when we're six feet under pushing daisies there's nothing you can do about that right yeah. and, and and that that's coming for all of us as well yeah and um you know gary v was like quoted as saying right tell me one thing in an interview that he was asked telling one, one thing that's going to motivate the the audience he said you're all going to fucking die <laughs> it's like wow <laughs> that's not very motivated it was like what's well, true it's you know true. so it's true. design a life that feels like it's on purpose for you and it's based on what excites you rather than living a life based on other people's opinions or expectations of you powerful that would be Love. my advice to not only myself but to, to everyone yeah Love. outstanding I really Adrian Bo thank you absolute pleasure gents thanks for having me thank, thank you, you so wow pleasure. what a podcast <laughs>